Welcome to Antibodies. This is our third body sort, and joining me today is a budding virologist, Shutonuka Bhar. She also goes by the name of Tanu. Uh, Tanu, welcome to the show. Uh, hey everyone. Can you tell us something about yourself? Ah, uh, sure. I work in a virology lab. and my ex- project is mainly based on uh, virus microbiome and host interaction i'm a phd student for now so not a specialist of virology but i really love the field as a whole and need the new upcoming studies of this field like coronavirus like coronavirus since uh, sars-cov-2 is the hot topic uh, Why don't you tell us a brief introduction to what SARS-CoV-2 is? What kind of virus this is? This is a coronavirus and it's a positive strand RNA virus. Mm-hmm. So when I say positive strand RNA that means the transcript or the mRNA is generally referred to as the positive strand. And this virus itself can act as the transcript. So proteins can be directly translated from the genome of this virus. So it has an RNA genome, and yes. the genome is the positive stranded RNA, which is similar to the mRNA. Yes, All and right. it is basically the mRNA as well as the gen- genetic material of the virus. Okay, and I have I have a, a very basic question: the mammalian cells, eukaryotic cells, let's say, they don't actually have a polymerases that can make DNA from RNA, right? they only work from dna to rna so how does this virus manage uh, replication inside a eukaryotic cell um so they have their they make their own polymerase which is rna dependent rna polymerase while in case of host they have their their replication includes dna to dna genomic material in this case of this virus they make the uh, from the positive strand rna they make a negative strand rna and from that negative strand rna there can be multiple uh, replication by the rna dependent rna polymerase to prepare multiple plus or positive strand rna which okay. become their genetic material copies so essentially this virus is only utilizing the ribosomes and other machinery from the cell but it's bringing its own polymerase yes. to the cell yes okay and i i in the last study that we uh, that we discussed about SARS-CoV-1 we found that replicase despite being a huge portion replicase which is the rna dependent rna polymerase yes. despite being a huge portion of the genome, genome. of the virus is mm-hmm. still not the most immunogenic part uh, the most immunogenic part of that was the, the spike, spike protein. protein and we have seen a similar uh, similar spike protein in SARS-CoV-2 being the receptor so it looks like we we it's might the have ligand, not it's the ligand yes the ligand the ligand yes. the receptor is ACE2 angiotensin converting enzyme 2 which is found in the airway epithelial cells mm-hmm. in in humans and probably other hosts so i am assuming a lot of vaccine strategies are going to be uh, based on the spike spike and well H2 when you think of a vaccine they mainly target the most immunogenic portion so that our immune system can recognize it faster and produce multiple um antibodies or other strategies to um 
I mean, make the memory, mm-hmm. and that's the basics of the vaccine. So, uh, immunogenic portion is very, very required for making vaccines. That's right, and I'm very excited about our paper today. So, are you ready? Yeah, let's start. So, the paper we chose for today's episode is breadth of concomitant immune responses prior to patient recovery, a case report of non-severe COVID-19. In this article, we are looking at a 47-year-old woman who recovered from the disease. So, Tanu, tell us more about this whole study and the patient. <laughs> so, I personally do not know the patient, but <laughs> all I can tell about her is that she was 47 year old and from the data of chinese center for disease control and prevention we now know that when you are between 40 to 49 years of age you have 0.4 percent of mortality rate so mortality rate is the percentage of people dying when you have that disease okay so that means she is not specifically in a high risk group. This is somewhere in the middle, not too young and not too close to the high risk group. Yeah, people from 10 years to 39 years of age actually just have 0.2% of mortality and 40 to 49 years of age have 0.4% and as it increases, the percentage increases as well. But when you are above 80 years of age, you actually have around 14.8% mortality rate. That's that's a pretty high mortality rate. And that's the serious mortality, a serious mortality rate. And anyone above 60 years of age, uh, it's like above 3% mortality and that's high enough. So keep your parents and grandparents at home people above 60 years of age because mainly they have lower immune response Mm -hmm. as well as their body becomes a bit weaker towards pathogens and viruses okay Uh, i want to so this is this is actually the primary reason why we are all in this lockdown Uh, people are people are requested to have to maintain maintain distance not to be touching their faces because even if in the younger younger populations while the mortality rate is low it doesn't mean that they cannot die it's just they are less likely however the old older people that's the uh, group Main that's the group, target that, group yeah. for this covid-19 and, and whatever we are doing today the why we are <laughs> locked down in our houses we are not uh, making as much contact with people trying to work from home it's all to protect ourselves but even more for the elderly who are much more susceptible to this disease so we already know that this woman is from a middle age group uh, about 47 years of age and that means whatever we whatever immune response we see from her could be comparable to an average average younger person um, who has recovered from the disease uh, Tanu is there anything else you want to tell us um, so when we are talking about stats uh, it's not that if you're young you won't get it at all if you have some previous illness or some illness you don't know about you are equally or maybe higher in risk of uh, getting infected or dying out of it Um, like if you consider the data from who from february 
If you have a previous cardiovascular disease, your mortality rate will be 13.2%. If you previously had diabetes, it's 9.2%. People having high blood pressure have 8.4% mortality. People with chronic respiratory diseases have 8% and people with cancer have a 7.6% mortality. And you can see uh, that people, whoever has more diseases related to the lungs or the respiratory air pathway, mm -hmm. they are in more risk of getting um, um, adverse outcome out of this oh, so infection. Is. So it's, it's also important for us to know whether this uh, woman had any previous yes. uh, cases. So did she have any underlying situation? She did not. So According she's healthy to what otherwise. They found out. Yes. Okay. So what we are, what whatever we are going to discuss today could be again. Please uh, mark the word could because it's only one person's case could be comparable to another human being's immune response against SARS-CoV-2 who does not have any underlying situation and is not belonging to a high-risk group. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, Tanu, tell us more about it. This woman was from Wuhan of Hubei province in China and 11 days ago, she traveled to Melbourne in Australia. So when I'm saying some days ago that means i'm considering the day she was admitted to the hospital as day zero and four days ago she had um symptoms like lethargy sore throat die cough uh, dry cough <laughs> uh chest pain mild dyspnea and subjective fevers and some of these are well-known uh, symptoms for COVID-19, right? Yeah. So fever, sore throat, die... Why am I saying dry? <laughs> it's dry cough and lethargy are known symptoms along with some breathlessness. Okay. And she was... Uh... She was uh, checked for presence of the virus, SARS-CoV-2, at day four, that is after uh, four days of being admitted in the hospital. And she was uh, she was found positive for SARS-CoV-2 in the nasopharyngeal part. And uh, day five and six, again, SARS-CoV-2 was confirmed in nasopharynx by PCR. Also, so what they do mm -hmm. in this nasopharyngeal swab is that uh, they just take a cotton swab and take sample from inside your nose and that sample is then properly diluted or used as a sample for RT-QPCR and there, that's the place the RT-QPCR is the system where you actually check whether the virus is present or not. For, for our audience who might not know what is RT-QPCR, RT reverse transcriptase uh, qPCR is a way to look for the viral genome so you can isolate the RNA from the swab which might or might not contain the virus mm -hmm. and then convert you, it to cDNA and then check for the DNA via qPCR yeah so you are checking for very specifically the DNA or part the of DNA, the DNA DNA or yeah the genome genomic material of the virus next uh, on day five this uh, this woman was also found to have bilateral infiltrates, which means 
fluid uh, and cellular infiltrate in her lungs in the bottom part of the lungs so this is another this is another um, symptom of um, of being infected so a very uh, common thing in the lungs what happens if you do a radiography you'll be able to see it for covid patients is the ground glass appearance that means the patients have a hazy opacity in their lungs uh, whenever they have the disease or whenever they are in the peak of the disease when the fluid is actually um, filling up your lungs mm -hmm. and that's what is causing the breathlessness that's right and so this was day five and after five days that is day 10 the bilateral basal infiltrates were cleared that means there were no no more her lungs were filled with the fluid on day 11 she was discharged for home isolation on day 13 there was complete resolution of symptoms and by day 20 she was still doing okay there were increased um immunoglobulin G and immunoglobulin M, IgGs and IgGm in her plasma against SARS-CoV-2 uh, antigens. And she was eventually, uh, she was eventually enrolled in this study program, which we are discussing about today. So by day 20, she was, uh, according to the clinicians, she was perfectly well and she had recovered from the disease. There was a very interesting thing this paper pointed out that she had no contact with the Huanan seafood market or any person who had COVID-19. So when you get admitted to the hospital, especially now when the cases are so high, they ask you whether you are in, in contact with any person who have COVID-19 so that you they know how it transmitted to you or the Kwanan seafood market which they talked about here that's the place where patient zero was found okay so what, the, epi the epidemiologist went and tracked down uh from where actually this pandemic started and they found that there was a shrimp vendor in this Huanan seafood market who apparently was the patient zero so there's a great movie to find out how this epidemiology and stuffs work and that's contagion of 2011 and that's awesome that shows very accurate science and field studies of how everything is carried out during a pandemic yeah that's a that's a very nice movie and <laughs> very pertinent to what we are going through right now yes watch it in your free time during this yes. quarantine we did period. not get money from the directors to talk about the movie no we didn't <laughs> i should get some now <laughs> anyway um Danu, do you want to add something before we start talking about no we can start sponsors? we can start talking about there's only one figure in this in this whole article along with two extended supplementary figures and the first figure we are looking at the only figure we're looking at the immune responses so we know that by day seven she had started to be negative for SARS-CoV-2 through the uh, nasopharyngeal swab that means that's for the time when uh, the virus was beginning to uh, go down and to see what kind of immune responses were seen during that time, uh, if we look at the antibody secreting cells or the ASCs, along with follicular T cells, let me let me quickly go back and tell you what these cells are. 
anti antibody secreting cells are is a whole group of any cell that secretes antibodies so the, they are basically the plasma cells and uh, not only plasma cells first let's be clear that they are taking these samples from the blood and plasma cells are usually not found in the blood plasma cells are found in uh, secondary li- secondary lymphoid organs okay. or even more of them are found in the bone marrow so we're not going to look we're not talking about mostly not talking about plasma cells when we uh, talk about the cells obtained from her blood these are other b cell types like the plasma blasts or it could also be memory b cells these are just other b cells that are not as good as antibody production as plasma cells but they still do a job and we see that there is a uh, emergence of and uh, emergence of antibody secreting cells around day seven and they go up at the highest point at day eight and that's also around the time when we see a lowering of uh, virus tight uh, virus not titers i'll just say virus uh, rna in, mm-hmm. in the nasopharyngeal swaps so it could mean that as the antibody secreting cells were increased we had fewer um, fewer viruses uh, surviving and as days go from day eight, the antibody secreting cells go a little bit down. They have a drop phase, uh, the contraction phase, and then they become stationary because you don't need as many antibody secreting cells afterwards once the f- uh, infection has been cleared. Mm-hmm. Along with these antibody secreting cells, we also see follicular T cells, which are uh, which go up and they uh, reach a stable. Uh, stable numbers after a while. The, Seems like they are going up. So they and up, yeah. Yeah, they could be go. I, I think they will stabilize for some time. Yeah, for the day twenty, they are only going up, as we have seen here. Mm-hmm. But the work, the function for follicular T cells, is to guide uh, B cells inside the germinal centers. Mm-hmm. Germinal centers are these specialized locations where B cells uh, they they come together. And they try to go through this process called affinity maturation. Affinity maturation is a process where just by chance, B cells mutate and they try their newly formed antibodies against the antigen that they're trying to neutralize. So in this case, these germinal centers could be making antibodies against the uh, against the SARS-CoV-2 antigens. The T follicular helper cells are actually there to find out which B cell is actually making the right exactly. kind of antibody. antibody. Yes. So the T, in presence of T follicular helper cells, we get a very specific response. Mm. There are responses that happen take place in absence of T follicular helper cells, and those result in low affinity antibodies. But they are still important, though. Anyway, so that's why the have follicular helper cells are as much required as the ASCs as they both work in synergy to produce this high affinity antibody responses. This is somehow correlated to the study we discussed in the previous episode mm-hmm. that as you can see higher antibody presence in the blood, you can correlate that with the recovery of the patient and that the disease level is coming down of the patients and patients are recovering because they have more antibiotic presence. Yes, that's very similar to what we saw in SARS-CoV study, the the SARS-CoV-1 from our last episode that the neutralizing antibodies were 
were coinciding with the recovery of patients although we don't know if these antibodies are neutralizing yeah. because the exact definition of a neutralizing antibody is the one that does not allow virus replication uh for this we don't know but at least these are antibodies that bind so they have some effect probably next they look at uh, populations of cd4 and cd8 t cells uh CD8 T cells are cytotoxic T cells. Mm-hmm. These are the cells that go and kill virally infected cells. So imagine it this way: the our cells become factories that produce viruses once they're infected by the virus. So these cytotoxic T cells they shut down the factories. And there's a whole uh, procedure how it happens, and I'm not going to discuss that. We disc- did discuss it in the last episode. But Tanu, do you want to uh, talk a little bit about CD8 positive T cells? Yeah, this this CD8 positive T cells gets activated during the innate immune response itself, which is the first uh, defense against the virus. But the main way this T cells. Um, act are by releasing granzymes and perforin so granzymes are like serine proteases and per uh, which ha- makes the cell undergo apoptosis which is the infected cell and perforin creates pore in those infected cells finally resulting in the death of the cell so yes. if your industry where the virus is actually producing multiple progenies or copies or itself itself dies or the industry is destroyed the factory is destroyed uh, the virus can no longer use the host machinery or that cell to produce more copies that's the main background mm-hmm. behind the CAT8 cells. Yes, and these cytotoxic cells are the direct effectors that directly kill virus producing cells. Uh, point to be noted, they do not kill the virus itself, yes. just the virus producing cells. Mm-hmm. Because the whole point is that we reduce the production of the viruses so that our immune system can take care of whatever is left. But if if our uh, whole body is is overwhelmed with so many viruses, then uh, there's a point where we cannot get better anymore. And for the CD8 positive T cells or the cytotoxic T cells to be activated, they require help from CD4 positive T cells, which are the helper T cells. We see that there is an increase in the T helper cells as well, and just similar to what we saw in the SARS-CoV in the SARS-CoV-1 uh, paper that we discussed in the last episode, there were much higher amplification of cytotoxic T cells than helper T cells Mm -hmm. and the reason that we discussed for the previous episode is would be the same from this one it's that we don't need as many helper T cells because the the task for helper T cells is to help the CD8 positive T cells become activated so that they can proliferate and they can go and do their job CD4s do not directly uh, have they do not have direct um, role in killing the virally infected cells they are helpers they are middlemen so they don't have to be in huge numbers compared to cytotoxic T cells which are the immediate effectors so they have to be in larger numbers in this in this study they have uh, they have looked at a very specific type of CD4 and CD8 positive T cells which they are calling CD38 positive and HLADR positive so just hold down this is this is very useful for those who are uh, very much in love with immunology like me <laughs> but if you are just here for uh, fundamental details then you may like me <laughs> <laughs> then you may skip this part anyway so CD38 in human T cells 
is a marker of immediate activation and it also often correlates with high production of cytokines high production of um granzymes that tanu just told us about and perforins so these people uh, the researchers they saw that the cd38 positive cd8 positive t-cells that is c38 positive cytotoxic t-cells produced much more quantity of perforin and granzyme than just cd8 positive t-cells so that means that these are specialized subpopulations mm-hmm. that make more of granzyme and perforin think of granzyme and perforin like machine guns <laughs> they yeah. they are they, they literally be, create holes <laughs> yeah they, so that that is ex- exactly like a cellular machine gun they are they are creating holes in the infected cells and cleaning them and these there were also cd4 positive t cells so while cd4 positive i mean cd4 positive cd38 positive t cells while these cells do not of course do not make granzymes they are going to be making a lot of cytokines and these cytokines can help uh, activate t cells natural killer cells monocytes and every 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 other kind of cell around them so even they are playing a big part so i have a question mm mm-hmm. so you can see that this they can find cd4 positive t- helper t cells from day 7 mm-hmm. and they can also find the antibody response or antibody secreting cells from that very time day 7 mm-hmm. so and you didn't mention how the t helper cells are also helping the antibody secreting cells Oh. Are, do they also have any function by, with activating T follicular or so that's a very good question and to be, let's 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 uh, say all the T follicular helper cells are CD4 positive okay so T follicular helper cells are just a subclass of T helper, f- cells. Uh, helper cells these are specialized for B cell activation mm. while at CD4 positive cells just in general they can do all sorts of things especially they activate the antigen presenting cells and the cd8 positive t cells so next we also look at natural killer cells and monocytes natural killer cells are are these cells that also just like um, cd8 positive t cells directly kill infected cells however their mechanism of killing is slightly different than a cd8 positive t cells and i'm going to skip through that for now just for simplicity because natural killer cells they, they is a completely different way for monocytes monocytes are the precursors of macrophages and dendritic cells uh, these are antigen presenting cells that are very much required for uh, presenting the antigens to c8 positive t cells and c4 positive t cells so that they can get activated this is a whole <laughs> mess our immune system is a whole interconnected web everything depends on uh, everything macrophages and dendritic cells are the very first cells which come in contact with the virus mm-hmm. in the tissues and then they travel to the lymph nodes and notifies the t cells that hey just look at this yeah. antigen this <laughs> is I something found. new yeah new that i found so the t cell is now okay i need to get activated and then the proliferation or clonal exp- expansion yeah. so, happens so so r- even before the t cell response we have these antigen presenting cells which are the monocyte lineage cells mm-hmm. that engulf either the viral particles and then they present it to these cells for activation 
monocytes here it, so it's a very interesting thing here that they, they saw a reduction in monocytes at the time of recovery and in the discussions the the authors have said that it's probably because the monocytes when they find antigens and just like tanu said when they find antigens they go to secondary lymphoid organs like the lymph nodes or the spleen to present antigens and we are where we are looking at these antibody uh, these cells is the blood the the blood so a reduction in blood uh, blood bound monocytes could be result of them traveling to tissues and lymph no- lymph nodes uh, for activation so that could make sense as well mm-hmm. and so overall we're seeing we're seeing a huge amount of uh, b cell response and uh, t cell response in these um, virally infected cells and this response was able to help this person recover an interesting thing and a, a huge contrast with what we found with the what we found with the uh, SARS-CoV-1 study is that in SARS-CoV-1 uh, study, we found that there was huge increase in cytokine secretion by T cells. Uh, they saw increases in interleukin-12 and interferon gamma specifically, and they attributed the recovery to these two cytokines. However, in SARS-CoV-2 infected patient's blood, the serum did not have the, uh, the cytokines that we found. In fact, there was even fewer uh, uh, few, fewer cytokines than healthy controls that were employed in this study. That is very, very strange. That is very because strange, Because yeah. I think they showed inflammation by uh, measuring the C-reactive proteins. So I thought that the C-reactive protein increase in the blood means that there is inflammation somewhere. So you're right, C-reactive protein, uh, taking a step back, it's a protein made by the liver and mm-hmm. C-reactive protein, is, it acts like a free-floating pattern recognition receptor. It can bind to dying cells. It can bind to specific polysaccharide residues on certain bacteria. And it acts as an opsonin. It's a, it's a similar opsonin like what an antibody is or what some complements are. It recruits phagocytic cells and allows the phagocytosis of either dying cells or these tagged cells. So CRP or C-reactive protein is only uh, expressed or made by the liver in response to certain cytokines. I think it's mainly IL-6 released by macrophages and dendritic cells yes so a lot of a lot of things make il6 yeah but mainly it's like if you have pro-inflammatory cytokines if there is inflammation your blood will have higher c-reactive proteins yes but strangely in this study they do not find any pro-inflammatory cytokines yeah i'm i'm not sure what's the reason because they do not find in fact they as i said they found much lower cytokines than even some control patients. So it does not make much sense. Either uh, there was some something wrong with the handling or there is actually uh, not a big role of uh, interferon gamma and interleukin-12 at least. That which, is so strange. That Maybe is so their strange, Eliza yeah. kid had some problem. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think there should be, they would be allowed to publish we it. Are, that was a we are accusing our nature paper <laughs> of this. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, in any case, fewer cytokines and she uh, recovered so it could also mean it could also mean that 
Uh, it also depends on when exactly the cytokines were measured because when it if it was measured during her recovery phase maybe the inflammation wasn't there then so it's they say that they were assessing the cytokines at day seven to nine and she recovered around day 10 but let's also take a step back and and, uh, and clarify that in the in that article about SARS-CoV-1 mm-hmm. they saw the cytokine release not uh, they they had T cells isolated from the patients and they were doing in vitro cultures while in this case they were just looking at cytokines directly in the serum directly from the patient so it's possible that maybe you don't have to have higher serum cytokines but they could still be acting in the, in secondary lymphoid organs yes. or directly in the tissues so mm-hmm. that's still uh, possible um of course, this is only a case of a single patient, Just so a, pa- a single, single patient, patient, so we yeah. cannot draw huge conclusions. But yeah, if you have functional <laughs> cytotoxic T cells and antibody secreting and, and cells, antibody cells uh, you are good to go. <laughs> over, overall, yeah, you should be able to recover from this. This is and you are below sixty years of age. And you are below sixty <laughs> years of age. To be exact, if you are forty-seven years old, <laughs> this study might help you. Um, and that's it. That's all we uh, have to discuss about this. Um, Tanu, is there anything else? Um, no, that was all. I think we did a good <laughs> explanation of it. And now for the next time, Jatin, I think uh, you should take a step back from immunology serious papers and we should look more about the therapy- antiviral therapeutics and drugs testing towards this COVID-19 studies for them. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, by the way, there are some vaccines vaccines coming up for the uh, for for this. Um, oh, they are testing out a mRNA vaccine. Uh, yeah, can can you tell us for the for the our audiences how does an mRNA vaccine or a DNA vaccine works? So it can be multiple ways. I haven't studied the exact paper where this uh, mRNA vaccine is used against the COVID two uh, SARS CoV two, but a DNA plasmid can be something like you have a, a, a DNA vaccine can be something like you have a plasmid and you have an insert which can be the most immunogenic portion of the virus. Mm-hmm. Like in this case, this will be the spike protein insert, not the protein, but the genome for the gene for the spike protein insert inside the plasmid. And I think in case of mRNA virus, it's just the next step. That's the immunogenic proteins mrna will be supplemented in the body am i saying it right i I, I think yeah you're you're right the the by by providing the mrna one good thing how it's better in my opinion how it's better than uh protein vaccines is that the folding of the protein is taken care of by the cell itself so hopefully uh, the in our in vitro practice of making the protein does not screw it up. Mm-hmm. So when you provide the mRNA, the instruction is there for the ribosomes to make the viral protein itself. So this has to be perfectly folded. And when it goes out, it will encounter some antigen presenting cell who will eat it, present it to T cells, and we'll have a robust uh, both 
uh, cell mediated and humoral immunity against it which is the whole purpose of the yes. vaccine it's a prophylaxis you want to get this so that people become immune before actually getting the disease yeah maybe we'll talk more about vaccines and antiviral therapies in our next episode that, that'll be that'll be we'll choose, good. I'll, I'll choose a paper yes <laughs> like that so our next paper will be chosen by tanu hope uh <laughs> Uh, it's a good thing she lives in proximity so that we don't have to travel <laughs> at all <laughs> and but yeah that that'll be it for now uh, thanks a lot for tuning in to this episode uh check out our facebook page where we sh- uh, share a lot of memes especially educational memes about immunology that'll help you learn a few things you can uh, send us an email at antibodies1@gmail.com yeah let us know via email how you're spending time in this quarantine and if you are studying some papers <laughs> to help you come out of this quarantine or any paper which is keeping your mind in peace during such a time yes. let us know how you're doing yes of course like every normal person that's all we do we're only reading research papers <laughs> in the whole quarantine <laughs> and i hope you are doing that too uh thanks a lot stay safe guys see you later bye bye bye